At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. And hello, Michelle. Thank you so much for being here today. Good morning. Good morning. Finally got gotcha. you. I'm really looking forward to our chat today and to learn about the River Valley Resilience Retreat. So a firefighter, a corrections officer, and a military spouse all walk into the woods. Is that the beginning of, of how the, all this happened? No, not <laughs> at all. <laughs> Supposed, it's supposed to be uh, uh, like one, one of those three people walk into a bar joke. Uh, what was? Yeah, the, and I got that. But there was no bar. There was no bar. <laughs> just the woods. There was no bar involved. So how did it happen? Like uh, when? When did it start? And how did it all come together? Sure. Um, it started. I think it started probably at the height of everyone's operational stress injuries, where you find out the weak links, the strong links and all the services that are not there. Then you kind of navigate through your system and you find the system or the services that are there. So it kind of started off with me going to the local fire hall and um, in, inviting people, inviting the firefighters that I met there around the table for coffee, if you will, um, just kind of talking about some things that had happened recently at that time introducing myself as, hey, someone who kind of gets you. I don't know what your job is like, but I'm here. And I happen to have a peer group on Sundays that firefighters and everyone else from our demographic is welcome. And that's how it started. I met Jeff Reeder. Um, he gave the entity that I was with at the time, um, he gave us a sizable donation. So it was at a check presentation that we kind of forged our friendship. He reminded me of my son and uh, who lives in Vancouver, so that's a long way from Prince Albert, and um, just had mutual and common interests, and we just kind of fell into this about filling in the gaps. And so he um, spent some time with him at Equine Assisted Learning out at Carchet Farms and really got to understand that, you know, this kid, I call him a kid because I'm 54, but um, his soul and his passion as a union member was to help his brotherhood of firefighters um, have a better life. And, and he had worked really hard to get himself back together after an incident and was, you know, walking the talk and talking the walk. I don't know, you know, the saying, but I, I like to screw it up. <laughs> and that really resonated with me. Because a lot of, there's a lot of people who talk and say what they're doing and what they should be doing. And then, you know, and you see right through that they're not on their healing journey and it's okay. But, um, there was something within Jeff that I thought was okay. And I still think, and I know that he was the real deal and he really has a vested interest into changing people's lives. And so, uh, we embarked on a project to go and find the right place to build a safe place, if you will. And yeah, we've had some bumps and grinds and some, you know, um, we've learned a lot about people and um, how people are um, sometimes this way and then they're this way when you're not around. And so we kind of got 
we learned and navigated around some some creative mistakes and we got ourselves on track with the right people and um when one of those things went sideways, um, as they often do, because Jeff and I are both dreamers, but we don't have the practical skills to kind of take things further in the world that it matters in, if you will. So um, I was complaining to one of a volunteer out at our little community hall. Her and I were mopping floors one day, and I was complaining about the mistakes that I had just made and the people that I had just trusted in and uh, learned the hard way from. And she literally got tired of me talking. And so she just phoned me the next, or phoned me that evening after we were done the toilets and the mopping of the floors. And Michelle was venting, so I was dropping F bombs. And uh, she just said, Listen, you'll meet me at the hall tomorrow at 1130. And I said, No, I don't feel like it. I've done my full day there today. What more could we do? I'm done. And she said, You'll meet me there tomorrow. So I'm <laughs> fine. So I went to the hall the next day, and she said, sit down and be quiet. I want you to stop talking and not say anything. So I'm like, oh, my God, what kind of talk is this? Like, what the hell could I have done wrong with scrubbing the toilets? And she just said, listen, I listened to you all day yesterday, and you're annoying. So we got some stuff to tell you. And she opened up this brown folder, which I still saved because it's, it's just so amazing. They had a list of places within our community that were for sale or that maybe should be for sale um, that would be potential great places for Michelle and Jeffrey's vision. And on the last page, after I said, oh, I don't like that place. Oh, I don't want that. No. And I turned down everything that she was presenting because I was in that kind of a headspace. And the last page was their place. And it was highlighted. And she had pros and cons. And uh, there was no cons. They were, that's how they introduced us and said, seriously, like, if you want to come and have a look at it. I'd never been to their place before. Um, Very, very private people. She said, just come and have a look, but be quiet and just sit and be present. And I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, like, okay, let's go now. (laughs) So they're like, no, no, you can't come see it until Jeff's with you. So literally, Um, I got a hold of Jeff and he's like, oh my God, Michelle, like we've just ended this nightmare and now you want to get us into something else. Like, you know, we were just kind of trying to work through our mistakes. We drove to the landowner's place, um, and we followed the, the landowners and literally we got to this top of this crest of this valley and Jeff and I looked at each other and went, oh my God, it's amazing. And then we headed down into this giant valley, and it was like a hidden gem. Like you would never, if you were standing there, you would never knew, never know that it existed down there. And it's just this amazing valley with um, the the landowners are very outdoor enthusiasts, and so they have found a logging trail through their property, and they expanded on it. So the logging trail takes us right down to the river. And as soon as Jeff and I saw that and we were just absorbed by the trees and we both live on acreages, we both have all of this around us. But what we got down there was like, oh my goodness. Like, can you imagine what this would feel like for some of my very uptight friends? 
And that's really how it started. It was like, okay, well, now what do we do? Like, how do you do the right steps? How does someone donate? Da, 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 da. And uh, we got ourselves all legal-fied and became a nonprofit um, in 2019. And now, since then, we've built up an amazing board of like-minded, egoless people. That's um, who, yeah, who really have a vested interest into stopping veteran and first responder suicides, just like Jeff and I do. And that's really, you know, we've, we wanted to have a place where we could have professionals and people and everybody all in one. And, and now we've realized that it's literally nature, the water, and peers. That's all we needed. This big, grandiose place that I had in my mind that needed to be done, like a $3.5 million build. You know, a fancy this and a fancy that. It was Terrence Kosakar who actually sat me down on, well, sat me down, you know, through video with one of Terrence's conversations. And uh, he said, seriously, like, just feed them. Just give them something, a place to go. Like, you're thinking way too big. Go small, Michelle, small. And we flipped a switch in our brains. And since we flipped that and we went smaller um, in our brains and our concept, it is unbelievable what people are feeling. And we only have five Cabela's tents and two little uh, boardroom tents, if you will. And um, people haven't slept there. This is a day experience that they're getting this out of now. So we know we're onto something. The land is working. And our team is working. It's, it's where we've come from 2019 to now is, is amazing. So River Valley Resilience Retreats, it, you know, indicates that there's a retreat somewhere. But we have really found that the community um, within us and the people that we have brought in, as well as the ones that we have supported that are now part of our community, our community is wherever we are. We are just really grateful that we have a little space of land that we can, you know, have a little home base for now. Tell me about the peer really support, learned... uh, the peer support component of it. Say that again, sorry? Tell me about the peer support component of uh, River Valley Resil- Resilience Retreat. Well, it kind of goes into a backstory of, um, I met a veteran from the UK <clears throat> a few years ago. His name is Christopher Siddons, Chris Siddons. And um, he was kind of rescued by an amazing Legion uh, command officer from um, Regina off the street. And they developed together. He, he gave Chris the initiative to be able to start OSI CAN. I don't know if you've ever heard of OSI CAN. Sure do. But it, well, this is how it started. So my friend Chris Siddons found out that there was this lady in Prince Albert who you know, had this and had an operational stress injury and was married to a veteran who also has an operational stress injury. And he reached out to me, and I thought he was kind of a pompous prick on the phone. He was like, I need someone in that area because I'm from Regina, and that's too far. And I need... And so I said, oh, okay, well, are you asking or telling? And we kind of formed our relationship and friendship from there, and um, OSI CAN started. So... Um, that's how I started pounding the pavement in Prince Albert, getting peer support, peer support started. 
And so I would tell everybody and anybody who would listen. I went to every demographic. Hi, Michelle. Uh, I have this little group. I really like you to come. We don't do brain surgery. We just seriously just sit there and talk. There's no enemas involved. There's no nothing harsh. Just need you to sit and be. And um, people started to take me up on it. And the demographic grew from police officers, retired, serving, armed forces, members, nurses, doctors, social workers, counselors, tow operators. Um, it just became something amazing. And it was wonderful. And um, then sadly, uh, sadly, Chris had some mental health issues that popped up and uh, that were never quite dealt with. And so he did a walkabout and he sadly um, was let go from the Canadian mental health and from the initiative that he created. And... Um, which was just fine. He moved on to some really great things and some great people. So it's not a terribly sad story. It ended in his suicide in 2019. And um, that's the saddest part. But what the peer support started and how it developed was magnificent and amazing. And so um, I left OSI Can and everyone in my peer support group and I collectively started our own entity. And just to move away from, you know, the politics of different things, right? Just trying to just be our authentic selves without any kind of, you know, leadership, if you will. Um, we are all leaders, so we're all, you know, properly trained. We're all taking the initiative to do better and be better. So that's how what's important now and when was created. Where did you uh, get training for peer support? From Peaks to Prairies in uh, Calgary. Um, they came to Moose Jaw and did a collective training when I was with OSI Canada. I'm absolutely grateful for that experience. Um, we are now going to be doing their Peaks to Prairie. So anybody that's involved with the retreat, anybody who comes in as a peer supporter or a volunteer, we're going to get them trained up in this method so that they have the right skills to be that effective person with lived experience, you know, so it doesn't go in harbor or cause anyone else to come unglued, if you will, by their, you know, by their supporting us, though. This so, is a uh, really good example of why it's important to be doing the show. I've been in this space for a few years, and I've never heard of Peaks to Prairies. That's terrible. But that's how fragmented this world is. There are so many services and retreats, and they're all scattered all over the place. Unless you know somebody that knows somebody, you're not going to hear about it, and uh, you're not going to be aware of it. So that's what I try to do here. I'm definitely going to make a call to the Peaks to Prairies people. You'll have to introduce me. It, now, yeah, the, it's um, it's it's a wonderful lady, and um, she's got an amazing team, and that is what they do. They train people to be peer certified, if you will, and it, it's a you it, know, it's it was so, a, an it, amazing process. It's so critical to to have some sort of formal training. And the um, are you familiar with the term sanctuary trauma? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. And this is always my concern with all of the organizations, with all the retreats, um, and all the peer support groups, is that if you do it wrong. Um, or if you have the wrong people that just aren't ready, they're not in a place to be uh, running the show, you can create sanctuary trauma. 
And what are some of the do's and don'ts that, uh, that you would suggest for people to avoid causing sanctuary trauma when they're, when they're coming to a retreat of, of any sort or any sort of peer support group? I think it's that unconditional positive regard that must be first and foremost, that not everyone's going to present in the same way. Um, And so it's not judging by what people should be bringing to the space that you're occupying or whatever you're doing. So I think it it really is about judgment and attitudes within the person who is leading. So in our particular group, none of us lead. We all lead. And so we followed um, one, of the, one of the best ways and, and one of the best things that I've found after doing this now since 2016 is that Natalie Harris, um, my sweet friend from Ontario, uh, she's the one who started Wings of Change. And she's, she created a model that was important that people follow you know, along with her structure of what was created and then Catherine Hamilton and other people within that entity, you know, developed it further. But it speaks to the fact that, you know, the groups are not there to be causing any further trauma. Um, We are there to be able to prevent it. And some people um, are going to show up differently. They're going to act differently. And if we don't judge them from where we're at, then we're not doing further harm. And so, yeah, yeah. for me, I preach the, the part about just judging people where they're, or not judging people, but assessing people where they're at in order to avoid causing further harm because I don't want to be responsible for that. There are some people that are just not ready for a group environment. Um, oh, yes, correct. And uh, how, how do you handle that when somebody wants to come to the retreat but you know that it won't be good for the other people that are there? Well, our retreat is, um, so once again, it's my peer support groups up until now. We meet in a church in Prince Albert. And so um, you're right. A lot of people are not ready for a group. They think that it's a lot of pissing and moaning. They don't know what it is. They think that it's just going to be a bunch of uh, people that are stuck, that are venting, that are not moving forward. And I, when I find out that that's what they think, I recorrect the myth immediately. Any proper peer support group should not allow any trauma talk. Any proper peer support group should not engage in that. There are professionals that need to hear the stories and they need to dissect it and give the the patient the proper credence by processing it improperly, not in a group setting. Although I'm a mental health therapist and I have the education to sit and counsel because I've done that before, I sit in our peer groups as a peer, as a person so that everybody in my group becomes empowered to to help and assist. So there are people that say, listen, I can't do the group. Holy shit, that person's triggering me. I can't stand them. I want to throw punch them. We've had this before. Yes. Some of my uh, veterans um, have a lot of um, tattoos along their throats. And uh, for a correctional officer, that kind of signifies some other, you know, it reminds them of other people that they perhaps have locked up. So we've actually had some kind of mediation and some mutual respect where I asked both gentlemen to sit in their uncomfortabilities because it was both their time. They hated peer support. They didn't want to come to a group. And then they get there and they're both like, oh, my God, he's got tattoos. He reminds me about this. And then they find out that he's a Afghan veteran, completely different mindset. Yeah. 
made them sit there and listen to each other and the respect they ended up the the correctional officer ended up giving my afghan vet a ride home that night they were able to sit in their uncomfortability and process it and get back to mutual respect now there are some people that they appear a group and they are definitely not a group person <laughs> so we one on one with them so some of my volunteer gentlemen and ladies go and we tag them up with somebody. So then it becomes a relationship through what's ever comfortable. If it's texting, texting. If it's, you know, bridging the gaps and then getting them to a place where, okay, now come out to our site and sit in a lawn chair and meet us face to face. And then, and we'll just try that with maybe with two people. And then see if we can get them to come to a Sunday group and immerse them once they see that it's not a bitching and moaning session, that it's a productive, you know, what have you done this week that's amazing? You know, that's what we focus on. It's My group starts with, hi, what's your positives and negatives for the last week? And so people focus, they get rid of the negative stuff, and I'm like, oh, my God, your wife and you went out on a date? That's amazing. You should have started with that, Right. So it's about positives and negatives, finding the right vetted professionals. Um, it's linking people up who are a little bit shy and apprehensive. It's um, making sure that if a veteran appears at my peer support group or phones or initiates that contact, that he knows that he's entitled to a whole lot of stuff that would benefit him and his family. So I make sure that he finds a, a, a officer from the Legion. I make sure that he's hooked up with Provincial Command from, um, from Regina um, and just help them through that process. Who are some of the um, uh, major partners then that uh, you refer people to? So you, service officers at the Legion and, and, and where else? Like who's been good, good partners to you in your project? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, first of all, the investment that Military Mines and Rolling Barrage gave, you know, to us to actually get this started um, has been absolutely outstanding. So, for my veteran community, I make sure that everybody's covered. If um, I I have a very personal connection to OSIS, so I make sure that people are familiar with what OSIS is if you come from a veteran um, or a military perspective. Um, as you said, the Legion has been outstanding. They um, Chad Wagner and Paul Valiquette in Regina have been more than generous in, in basically saying, okay, we trust in you, Michelle do what you need to do. And the reports from the veterans that I've been putting through my big three day camp so far nice. has been phenomenal. Tell so me about that three day camp. Building for that. Uh, do you have like workshops and whatnot during the, the uh, a three day camp or what does that look like? Well, so right now, because we've had to do some, you know, proper permits and that kind of stuff. And, and well, we don't know, but we, I, I'm very transparent and I have, um, I kind of, you know, leave everything out there. So I wanted to make sure that even though the landowners have given us the land, that we are legally able to do what we want to do there without interference from anybody. Um, so nonetheless, we've had three day camps. So the first one was a ladies camp. And so we all start off with equine assisted learning out at Carchet Farms, and they are the pioneers of equine assisted learning. And so for three years, we've ran um, all the hardcore people from my peer group, including me, um, and some others, um, through a special program to address operational stress injuries. So building on communication, building on respect. And it's very difficult for an angry veteran or an angry correctional officer to go into the arena and try to move a 
hundred pound horse with an anger with with your attitude. It doesn't work. And it's been amazing to see the phenomenal changes with some of these men and ladies that walk in there so, you know, they're coming in hot, you know, that kind of thing. And then at the end of the group, they're like, oh, my God, that horse was so awesome. And I loved him. So they get to spend three hours there working on some some amazing specialized tools that um, and skills that have really brought out a lot of stuff. Are you able to describe the tools and skills? I asked Mike Rude uh, this, uh, and equine therapy was so important to him. He said that it was the first light that he saw at the end of the tunnel, the first bit of hope that, hey, I might actually start feeling better here. Um, and yeah. I know it's it, it's a powerful modality. I've had Jessica Vanderhoek on the show a couple of times, and um, can you put words to it? What the equine therapy, like what are the, what's the magic sauce there that, um, that has it working? Well, um, we should probably just back up a minute because I think that I, I want to be clear with your, with your viewers and your listeners that there are a lot of misnomers out there. So equine assisted learning is different than equine therapy. Roger that. So equine-assisted learning is all ground exercises that you do um, with the horse in a team. It's on foot, no riding, no nothing. Uh, one of the exercises that Carches have developed, it's a blindfold exercise. So you literally take the direction from your partner and go and do the put on a halter. You have to take your horse around and you're blindfolded. So it's about communication. Who's giving the right messages? What are you hearing? What are, what are you doing and how do you apply it properly? And it, it sounds kind of frightening and scary, but it's absolutely rewarding and amazing. So it's equine-assisted learning is partnering with your horse or your partner or an individual self. And the goal is to, to do a particular technique. So as I said, the blindfold one, there's also... Um, different exercises that you have to build on communication. One person on one side of the horse, the other person on the other side of the horse, and now you've been given a task and a little map in order to do that exercise. So if you're not communicating, the horse isn't going to move. So now it's about you communicating with somebody. Could be your loved one, could be a stranger. How do you do that effectively? And the horse doesn't let you get away with anything. So the neat thing about horses is that I can go in there stressed out, pissed off, angry, and the horse is going to look at me and go, really, bitch? Really? And they call me on it in their horsey way. (laughs) They basically tell you to shut the fuck up, listen, follow the program, and we're going to have a really great day. If you don't, I'm going to stand here until you get yourself together, and then we can proceed. And a lot of us with that type A personality operational side, that's fucking annoying. We want to get in there, be the best person, read the map, do the exercise. So, yes, awesome. They are such a magical, such a magical creature. I've, uh, I've heard an old cowboy uh, once said to me that a horse knows who's riding it. You know, if you know, you know, if you don't know what the hell you're doing, it knows that, and uh, and it will take charge. If you and if you do know what you're doing, it also knows that, and it'll listen to you and trust you. 
But uh, horses have a way of figuring you out um, just like that. And they know exactly who you are and what you're about and, and what, your, what your energy is. And I don't know how they do it. It's pretty cool magic sauce that... Um, uh, but uh, it, it is definitely on, on the list. Want to do some um, equine-assisted learning or equine-assisted therapy or, you know, whatever it is. If it's with horses, I'm cool with it. Jeff tells the story of um, it was the catalyst to change for him. He had tried psychotherapy. He had tried medications. He had tried all of these different things to, you know, to help him overcome his diagnosis and get himself back, you know, into the post-traumatic growth cycle to get back to his job, which he really does love, you know, at, at being a firefighter. And um, he's been around horses for a long time, but he found himself in the middle of the pasture, and I can't recall whose pasture, um, but he was humbled to his knees and just ready to, you know, throw in the towel with despair and anger and all this stuff came out of him. And he tells the story of the horses surrounding him. I don't know how it works, but it works. That was the change for him, and I've now seen it over three years. It's amazing. The like I, I can't even describe it into words. These uh, Carche Farms are, as I said, the pioneers. They developed the certification model for equine-assisted learning. So a lot of places in Ontario, Alberta, different provinces – um, have now been trained by Carches and are able to go and do these programs in their provinces to help out people with that, you know, with that gold standard, if you will. And I love that because it brings credence and credibility to the program. And Jeff has been an equine assisted uh, certified person for them, from them. And so when he said, oh, my God, let's try this program out. And I said, oh, some of my guys are going to like hate this. And my one veteran said, I'm going as long as I can ride. I said, there's no riding. Well, fuck that. (laughs) You know what? Just freaking come out there and try it. Like, let's go. Like, what do you got to lose? You're sitting here being a douchebag. Let's go try something. And honestly, that guy for the next few weeks was like the first person out there. He was excited. He was happy. It's. I've just seen it with a different group uh, or a different um, variety of demographics that it is unbelievably life-changing. And now, so we do these three day camps. So that's where we were started. And I'm sorry. We go to Carchet Farms in the morning. Then we go out to our RVRR site and we have a beautiful lunch made by my veteran husband because I cannot cook. So he does all the cooking and rave reviews. Um, We sit and we kind of digest what happened in the morning at the arena and talk about that and, and share some fellowship and some discussion about what they learned. And so we keep trying to tie it all back in. And then I have some amazing people that come out as speakers and presenters that um, have been specially trained in PTSD yoga. So uh, one of my guys like, oh, my God, yoga. I want to go fishing. And I said, you know what, you're just going to try because then we can say, oh, my God, I tried yoga and it's fantastic or Ugh. And so the yoga that was done that day was a chair yoga. And so everybody sat in their chair. So I'm like, well, you're doing really well. You're doing really great sitting in your chair already. So why don't we just take this further? So the whole exercise was done in the chair. And the practitioner that did it, once again, certified training, gold standard way. Um, 
the guy didn't want to leave his chair after and has been actually asking for more tips and what to do next. So I have a new yoga fan. And that's uh, then they go on a guided walk with a wonderful lady who um, shares her personal journey out of uh, being diagnosed with PTSD from her correctional career. And um, and now she owns a gun store, and um, it's kind of awesome because all my military guys love her. And <laughs> so we've had some field trips from our peer group to go to her store and do some. Uh, we throw axes there. That was one trip, and some guys went downstairs to do the shooting. Is that in PA? But she comes out to our site, and she yeah, she comes out and she does this nature walk. Um, talks about her journey, and it's been life changing. Plant identification, just. Really simple things that we take for granted. For our international, and we give, uh, uh, thanks to the. Sorry, uh, for for our international li- listeners, PA is Prince Albert, and in uh, northern oh, Saskatchewan, yes, northernish, north of Saskatoon, northeast, northern. Yeah, correct. Yes. So she takes ladies and men on this guided gentle hike. So then they get to see the river. They get to see exactly why the land is so healing and therapeutic. And we have little ponder spots along the way and have a couple of benches down there made by Jeff. And so every veteran that comes down there now, um, I want them to carve their initials into the benches that Jeff built. And so how I got many, one. How many benches are there? Uh, two. Okay. They're fresh and they're new and they're amazing. So my first veteran that's carved his initials in there is Billy Leonard. And I just got the pleasure of meeting him a few weeks ago as he was traveling through uh, Saskatchewan with Justin Whitehall. And what a treat, what an absolute treat to have us, you know, someone who doesn't know us, doesn't know anything, and then sits down there and go, oh, my God, I can come here for a couple of weeks. I think this is amazing. I'd like to help out. It was the validation that I knew I, I needed that we were on the right track. What's next for... Uh... So our days include... Oh, I'm sorry. I, uh, sorry. I, I, I cut you off there. So... Keep going. So tell me more about it. Basically, we're keeping things, you know, simple for right now. We'd like to, our tents are all glamped out. So I have uh, platforms in all the bottom of my Cabela's tents. And we have some really, you know, special beds in there. And the Legion gave me a ton of stuff. So I have one whole Cabela's tent that is full of all the Legion donations. So it's kind of funny, this veteran that was traveling through Canada stopped there. And I'm like, hey, is there anything in this tent that you could use? Because it's for veterans and it's from the Legion. And so he's like, I need a razor. <laughs> so I'm like, here's some razors. Uh, here's some of this. Here's some of that. So that's kind of the neat thing. I, I'm looking forward to when we are able to let people sleep there, be present, do some overnight stuff, you know, expand a little further. And then our goal is to have portable dwellings um, that are, as I said, portable, but they are very amazing structures and they will be built by CORCAN, which is inmates. Um, from the federal system, from the federal penitentiaries, building these little private dwellings for us to be able to put on our site so we can make a more comfortable stay in the future. So that's that's our goal. It's like we'd like to have five of those within the next five years. They're about fifty-two to $60,000 to keep them portable, and that way we have an exit strategy. If all of a sudden we don't want to be there, we want to go somewhere different, back the rig up and let's take these fuckers home. Well, it's better for right. um, uh, building permits too. If it's portable, you don't need a building permit, which is, which is kind of yeah. nice. Has it been okay for um, any sort of zoning or uh, uh, NIMBY neighbors that, uh, that are causing problems? Has, has that been all right? Mm. Guess not. Mm. A couple of, a couple of well, NIMBYs. 
as I said, we've applied for the right process, the right permits. We've done everything the correct way that we're supposed to be doing. And uh, we had to have a public consultation last Monday. And the NIMBY people um, were heard loud and clear. It was um, very sad and, and um, yeah, it, it caused a lot of uh, angst within our community just because we didn't think that some of those attitudes were prevalent. Um, we wanted to think that people actually understood who we were helping and why. But, um, you know, the best way in the politically correct way, if you will, which is not usually my forte, um, is just to say that we heard the concerns. The RM heard the concerns. They've decided to make a decision in October. And we are allowed to continue as we have been doing because the landowners are allowed to have seven people, you know, be present at their house during the daytime. And nobody should really be concerned about what we're doing. But we heard it. It was shameful. And uh, it it's is. okay. Um, the Homes for Heroes project with Dave Howard, uh, providing tiny homes for veterans, has run into the same problems. Um, one of the comments from one of the ladies that was at the grand opening, so I don't know why she was at the grand opening if these are concerns, but um, I guess she was just a NIMBY. And, you know, they're just just a kilometer down the road, there's a park. Aren't our kids going to be in danger if there's veterans living here? With yeah. PTSD, is like uh, kind of the opposite, actually. Um, there's... Uh, Fear gets the better of people, and, and instead of asking questions, they make the most bizarre assumptions. Legacy Place has to move now. Uh, Legacy Place in uh, Bearspaw uh, in, in Calgary with Diana. Um, she sent me a message yeah. the other day. The NIMBYs uh, won. So they have got all this, volu- like thousands and thousands of volunteer hours building this gorgeous, gorgeous spot. But, um, and for anybody that doesn't know what a NIMBY is, it's not in my backyard, it's an acronym. But uh, she has to move Legacy Place to uh, to another place where, you know, and they had the zoning, then they changed the zoning because of the NIMBYs. It's, um, what are some of the misconceptions that, that you heard from, from the, uh, <laughs> the nosy neighbors that, uh, to, to be kind to them, um, that was... Like, what are the misconceptions that are out there that you heard? Well, I think the the hardest part for me was some of the disrespectful comments that were actually written in. So somebody had the forethought to think of it and then write it. Um, And the one that Scooter triggered on me when I had to hear it, he was literally trying to get me to get outside, was the fact that who are you and Jeff to bring all these mentals here? And, and you're not part of the community. And I've lived here for 26 years. So that was a really huge shock to me to learn that night that I'm not part of a community yet. As I told you, it was me and the landowner scrubbing the toilets and scrubbing the floors of the hall because certain community members haven't stepped up. But then to hear them that night say that this is an important community and we all care about each other and you're coming in with these mentals and you're going to interfere with our lives and we literally picked the farthest place of this landowner's quarter section so over 140 acres to the most private part of their property we go through their yard to get down to our site 
Nobody lives on any side of our fences but the river and a few bears. But we have for seven weeks experienced excessive gunfire. We've ex- we've experienced drones flying over our, our site when we have people doing yoga. Jesus Christ. We have experienced air chainsawing. We have numbers of witnesses of people watching them just be blatantly disruptive. And that is more about them than it will be about us. We've maintained the same standard of life and a humble attitude that our landowners have asked us to, to keep. And that is to just let them do what they need to do because sadly that's more about them. What is air so, chainsawing? Um, literally we have a video where the, um, the, person who doesn't like us but they love the concept (laughs) um they're literally just chainsawing in the air without actually cutting any wood it was all about noise disruption just just to be a dick yeah so one of my veterans who's on my board member ramsey belisle beautiful soul also a paramedic um he tried to speak to this person and say hey you know hi like can we talk to you and the person um continue to just walk towards my board members um, rubbing a chainsaw, you know, and there was no engaging, there was no talking, there was no nothing. So we don't know. We, we heard the comments that they're afraid for their safety, that now I'm bringing extra people there. Now they don't, they don't know what's going to happen to their small community, which is crazy because it's a road. Um, and they just don't see the value of it yet. They have their own issues that should afford them the opportunity to understand what we're doing. So it's clearly an attitude of either they don't like me, they're threatened with the fact that what we're doing is disruptive to their community or their neighborhood, which is doesn't exist. So I, I heard it, but I don't absorb it because I see the faces of the people that are coming to the site and that want to come there. And, um, And on a personal note, the one thing that I did hear that night was from a a person that we've supported and and has been coming two and a half hours every Sunday to our peer groups. Um, And he was, um, he attended to the Humboldt Broncos crash uh, as a fire department member. And then he was displaced after it because of his mental health concerns or his, you know, his issues arising after witnessing something as horrific as that. So he was let go from the fire department. He then lost his community and a bunch of PPCLI brotherhood. <clears throat> Sorry. They took him in and uh, they started to give him the care and the concern that only a military brotherhood could understand, but that he had just lost from his fire department brotherhood. And they have been taking care of him, if you will. They embraced him and, I got to re-meet him last year at the Canadian Walk for Veterans when Mike Rude and I were um, handing out quilts of valor in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. And uh, this guy came forward and uh, we just said, hey, we got you. Come. If you want to drive every Sunday, we got a place for you. So he started coming to our church site. And then I invited him to come to the retreat site. He's the only person besides me who slept in one of my glamping tents. He told the entire room last Monday he found his voice. He had already written a letter, but he decided to go to the mic and tell everybody how he felt and who he was and what he had responded to and how the military um, personnel and how Michelle and this team 
have supported him and how he's sleeping better now after three and a half years of complete anguish and losing everyone and everything in his life. That was my win. If those people didn't hear that guy speaking that night and saying how he personally felt by just sleeping at this place and being with us at this place, then that's their problem. The pain because of- the landowners love this guy and he's welcome there anytime. The pain so of- that flipped it for me. The pain of PTSD is disconnection. It's disconnection from yourself, from your community, from from your peers. You know, um, it's the isolation. That that is the pain of um, disconnection from a good night's sleep, <laughs> disconnection from uh, just feeling anything at all sometimes, and it's these retreats and a properly done peer support group. And I got to emphasize properly done, not just a bunch yeah. of people thrown in a room uh, willy nilly. Uh, there really needs to be a structure. No, God, to it. No. Um, but properly done, it provides that sense of connection and that connection doesn't facilitate healing. It is healing. Connection is healing and listening to you uh, very eloquently d- describe the equine assisted how do you say it? Not equine assisted therapy, equine assisted learning. Um, to, to me, E A L E A L E A L. What uh, we love our our acronyms. What I was hearing there was uh, people finding a sense of connection and through being seen. In this case, is by the horses because they have that knack to truly see you. And when you feel that you are truly seen, that fulfills the number one human emotional need, which is affirmation. Um, which I've now discovered is probably number two because affirmation is secondary to connection. And you feel that connection, therefore you are validated that you are here, you are real, and that you matter. And that is all about the connection. The connection is the healing which the horses provide, which the peer support uh, provides, which in a, a quiet meditative place like a retreat um, done right. <laughs> that that that's what provides, and that's what uh, the PPCLI or uh, the veteran that you were uh, mentioning, the firefighter veteran, um, had experienced through the Patricias. And uh, again, for my international uh, listeners, that's my regiment, uh, the Princess Patricias Canadian Light Infantry, otherwise known as the Pats or the Patricias. Please don't call us Pickleys. We'll 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 get grumpy with you. <laughs> and. Um, it, Connection is the healing, and that's that's what you're that's what you're providing, Michelle, and it's beautiful. You're well. Thank you. I think the thing, the common denominator, is everybody could just be kind. And I've been listening since I convocated from university in '93, and the stories don't get easier. But the way to be able to just sit and be present and give the people the validation of, yeah, I hear you. But now what are we going to do about it? You know, what what can you do to change your life? What's important now? It's not yesterday. It's not tomorrow. It's right now. Right now you and I have an amazing conversation. And hopefully somebody will take something out of this to know that they are understood. And if they're isolating at home, we get it. I isolated for a long time. That's why I have a service dog because he needs to poop. So I have to take him out. Right? It gets me out of my mindset. So I encourage people, if you're sitting alone and you're sitting at home thinking, I'm the only one, nobody understands me. Yeah, we do. 
we all get you. And I encourage everybody to find River Valley Resilience Retreat. Identify, send me a message, no matter where you live, what country you're from. We have a network of connections. We will help you find people within your community, or we will be your community. But no one deserves to live like that. Everybody deserves to find the light. So we encourage people to be brave and try stuff out that maybe terrifies the shit out of them. But you know what? It's worth trying. It's worth finding your, your, yourself again. You're never going to be that old person who was this and who did that and who brought joy and da-da-da. But maybe you can bring a new joy. Maybe just by sitting in the room and not sharing, but by giving somebody that personal validation, unconditional positive regard, that you get them and you hear them, could be life-changing. And it is, because I've seen it. It is. And I will, I will always, always be grateful to Chris Siddons, who, as I said, started OSI Can, because he found value in people like me that were discarded because of our operational stress injuries. And he gave us the training to say, you have value. Just share it in a way that benefits you and benefits others. And that's why I, I think that Mike Rude, all of my advocate brothers, I love the Hoggins, Alberta people. They've reached out to us and said, how can we help you? Rally Point Retreat. Um, those are my, that's my guy. I love him. I'll send him a message at four o'clock in the morning and go, hi, are you up? I got to talk. And he's like, oh God, that girl. <laughs> you know, like this is the people I'm finding in my life now, which are amazing. I have Dave Bona in Saskatchewan, who's one of my best friends. I love the guy. These are the people that have walked the walk, talked the talk. We've been up, we've been down, we've been up and we've been down, but we've never been out will continue to rise. I got a Phoenix tattoo on my, oh, I can't even show you, but I got a Phoenix tattoo on my arm, <laughs> which indicates the fact that I can crash as many fucking times as I want, but it's how I get back up that matters. And if I can set my little ego aside and focus not on myself, but on others, then that gets me out of this and onto something else. So I encourage people to just get the fuck out of your head Focus on what's important now. And if you can't do it for yourself, what about your family? What about your kids? What about someone? Find something. Get a rabbit. Fucking buy a dog. I don't know. But get out of your head. And it is life-changing once you can get out of there. And off the couch. In our uh, peer support group. Yeah, well. uh, One of the peer support groups I'm a part of uh, last night, uh, one of the guys that um, has been going dark for the last couple of weeks he somehow dug deep and uh, blasted himself off the couch with a stick of dynamite whatever it took to go do something physical to go for a walk you know uh, just get the hell out of the house and um, because when you're in the house and on the couch that's where you stew stewing isn't good perseverating is not good you got to get out and just do something freaking anything like pick it but uh, get your body moving. It's just critical. I love it when some of the wives, and I'm just going to say this as an example because I'm sure it applies to both, but some of the wives are like, this is the day he showers. <laughs> and thank God you have him for an hour, you know, and I can't wait to drop him off. One of my guys, I, I remember going to the church one night and it was like 20 to 7, and we don't start till 7, and he was standing outside. <laughs> I'm like, 
Mm, you're here early. My wife dropped me off. She said that if I didn't go tonight, that like hell was going to happen. So I thought that was hilarious. She literally dropped him off. And, you know, when she picked him up again after an hour and a half, it was a different mindset. And that's how we started the family part, making sure that our families understood how we can be and not to take us personally. So we have a peer support. We have a family entity. We now have a non um, a non-military, non uh, responder demographic open peer support group called Fear Face Everything and Rise. So I have some really great people that have empowered themselves, and they run that for me and Jeff on Wednesday nights. And because we come across a lot of people with vicarious trauma that are not from our demographic, so we need to help them too. So we started that too, and that's been going for a couple of years as well. That's what I'm saying. Like we we have a we have a donated plot of land with five Cabela's tents and a porta potty. And then we've got our peer support group. And then we've got our one-on-one support group. And we've got our texting support. And we've got our family element. You know, we're we're trying to, sorry, Scooter must be indicating that there's it's all something, good. maybe a bowel movement needed. <laughs> um, but we, yeah, we, we, we're just trying to be an all-encompassing. And so the services that were lapsed or that weren't there when we needed them to be there is what we're trying to do. And trying to put the power back on to people, you know, um, to say, hey, back, let us help your people. Yeah. Hey, WCB, let us help your people. Because you guys are, you know, having some issues in some d- different areas. We got some gaps. We know what to do. Help us. Help them. Well, the work we're doing, Michelle, is all about filling those gaps as best as we can. And uh, yeah. and you're doing a wonderful job of it. And thank you so thank much you. for all the hard work that you are doing because it really does. Um, it's on. We're on the same mission, save lives and relieve pain by making help easily yeah. accessible. We're, we're doing the same job. And um, thank you, Michelle, for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me and uh, for letting Jeff and I share what we're trying to create and what we're about to do for Saskatchewan and other provinces. It's important that other people get us and uh, that we align ourselves with the right people. And I heard you're the right people, Mark. So that's why we're here. (laughs) Fantastic. Please stay on the line. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Now I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click follow. And if there's an option there for rating, please do so. And this is why. Every time you click like, leave a rating, leave a comment, what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast. The help that you can't find doesn't help at all. So help other people find this so that they can help themselves. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring.